Good evening on a late Thursday night. Chiming in. You're listening to A Train Sports Talk Podcast. And if you remember at the onset of my podcast, I told you I was going to be talking about other sports entities outside the major, like the NFL, the NBA college football, college basketball, major league baseball. I told you I was going to talk about some black history sports and historically black colleges and universities. Well, there is one school that is definitely making headlines. And there's an article in SB Nation that says Howard is the HBCU becoming college basketball's off-season champs. So, Kenny Blakeney took over a Howard men's basketball program that needed to be rebuilt from the ground up when he was hired ahead of last season. The Bison hadn't finished above 500 since 2002. And their most recent regular season or conference championship in the MEAC came in 1992. Blakely's first season was a staunch reminder of how difficult the task would be. Howard ended the year at 4-29 overall and 1-15 in conference. In every way, the Bison had nowhere but up. For a program that hasn't had national relevance in so long, Blakeney's rebuild figured to take years, even in the best-case scenario. Yet, as college basketball continues its eternal off-season in the wake of a global pandemic, you can make a case for Howard as the sports off-season champs. Seriously. Blakeney and Howard drew headlines around the country when five-star recruit Akira Maker who chose the Bison over the likes of UCLA, Kentucky, and Memphis back in July. On Thursday, the Bison landed their second high-profile player this summer when Purdue guard Noel Eastern announced he was transferring to Howard. In his tweet, says, for the culture, hashtag why not, hashtag HBCU, hashtag committed. Eastern, a 6-7 wing out of Evanston, Illinois, averaged only 4.9 points per game last year, but proved himself as an elite defender. He was considered a top 100 recruit out of high school and mostly needs to fix a broken jump shot before he can reach the next level in his game. Regardless, it's an impressive get for Howard, especially when given that many Power 5 conference programs would have loved to get him. It's still no guarantees that either Maker or Eastern will be on the court for Howard next season. Maker has opted out of the NBA draft after testing the process, but it's possible the NCAA will find eligibility issues with the complicated path he took to the Bison. Eastern already tried to transfer to Michigan in May, but was denied because of some of his credits didn't transfer over. Eastern is reportedly applying for a waiver to gain eligibility at Howard this season, which he'll need if he wants to be in the lineup whenever college hoops resume. 
even if there are still some obstacles in front of Howard for getting both players on the court in the upcoming season, signing two players to a low major HBCU that pretty much every program in the country would love to have is undeniably a reason for celebration. Blakeney and Howard are creating real momentum for top athletes to go to HBCUs, and it's astonishing to watch happen in real time. Journalist Jamel Hill wrote the case for top athletes to consider HBCUs at the Atlantic back in October. The idea gained more traction in the wake of national protests following the murder of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis earlier this summer. Maker didn't shy away from why he chose an HBCU over more established basketball schools when he spoke to the undefeated about committing to Howard. He stated, The reason behind my decision, I dare to be different, and I always consider myself to be a leader. I want to change the current culture and climate that has kept five-star athletes like myself from viewing HBCUs as a viable choice. I have no idea why it's been over 40 years that not even one five-star basketball player in the United States has decided to play basketball at an HBCU. But I do know that in this Black Lives Matter movement that's empowered and assembled many different people across the country and the world, that it won't be another 40 years until it happens again. Other top recruits are also considering HBCUs. The most notable is Mikey Williams, a 6'2 guard out of California who gained notoriety for playing alongside Bernie James before entering high school. Williams is ranked as the number three overall prospect in the class of 2023, and he's given HBCUs serious consideration. Williams' most recent list of college suitors include five HBCUs and five traditional college basketball powers. Those HBCUs are Tennessee State, Hampton, Alabama State, Texas Southern, and North Carolina Central. A program like Howard still has a long way to go before it's competing for the NCAA tournament. Historically, black colleges and universities still face an uphill climb competing for top recruits against schools with bigger budgets, better facilities, and a proven track record of sending players to the pros. Regardless, seeing Maker and Eastern pick Howard feels like a major cultural moment that has the potential to grow from here. Blakeney's first season to Howard may have been rough, but if the present is any indication, the future for both his program and HBCUs is bright. So there you have it. Howard University back in the news. Howard University getting a transfer coming in from a major conference. So now you start to look at the landscape of HBCU schools. For those of you who are listening to my podcast in other regions, let me state that I am here in Wichita, Kansas. Now, I will probably make some comments that probably will or won't set well 
to those that hear my comments locally and maybe to some of those of you who hear my comments as well said on a national basis but there's a radio station I worked at as a board op and I listened to their morning show and when the topic of elite athletes going to HBCU schools come up one of the first things that came back as a rebuttal so to speak was are they doing it because they want to be there or are they doing it as a PR stunt so let me give my rebuttal when you look at today's climate and the way things are going you know, with the pandemic and even since the George Floyd incident. No, I don't think it's a PR stunt. I think this is where the heart is at. When you stop and think about it, the narrative. And let me just go ahead and just do it like this. I've heard it on Fox Sports Radio. I've heard it come up on Fox Sports Radio. So now it's about to come up on my podcast. When you look at the fact that well, this football, let's just look at the SEC, okay? Football season is upon us, although it may be an abbreviated season. But let's just look at some things, okay? You look at your Alabamas, you look at your LSUs, you look at your... Even outside, you look at your Clemsons. You, you look at these programs and you look at what they're bringing in financially. You look at what these coaches are getting paid. You look at the players that's putting in the work during the offseason, then during the preseason, going in, busting their butts, sweating, lifting, you know, only doing what they can to get to that next level, even though it's not promised. Playing in front of seventy-five to a hundred thousand people on any given Saturday, and you wonder why come the narrative is should these players get paid? I know it's a hot button topic, but when you look at the majority of the players, look at what the rosters are filled with. Look at the percentage of your black athletes versus your white athletes. I'm, I'm, what I'm about to do, I'm about to pull up some numbers here. Because some of these facts here. Alabama. And I'm going to pull this up. I'm about to pull this up because I'm going to share this. The things you learn reading Alabama's $164 million athletic budget closely. The headline Thursday was the $21.2 million deficit 
resulting from the new tax laws and deferred contributions. There is a lot more meat on the bone of that standardized form every NCAA school has to file with the governing body every winter. It offers insight into how this massive athletics moneymaker pulls in cash and where it goes, who makes the money, and who spends it. Let's take a deep look into this financial form to find the things you might not know you wanted to know about Alabama athletics and the football program's impact on the bottom line. Of the $164 million in revenue, 59.8% came from football. The only other profitable program was men's basketball, 66921 more revenue than expenses. The two biggest moneymakers, media rights, $48 million. Ticket sales, $39.1 million. The two biggest expenses, coaching pay, $31.6 million. And administrative support staff pay, $32.1 million. Student athletic aid, total $18.1 million. Of note, the football team counted just 79.5 scholarship players below the 85 allowed by the NCAA. There were 99 football players who received athletic aid with each receiving an average of 54,041. The men's basketball team, for comparison, averaged 49,912 per athlete with 13 receiving aid. The football coaching salaries benefits were up 20.2% from 2018 to a total of $18.4 million. That includes Nick Saban and his 10 on-field assistants. Saban's total pay was $9,511,837. Much attention goes to Alabama football's large support staff when it comes to a growing investment. Pay for the support staff rose 22.1% from last year to $4.4 million. Go back to 2016 and the pay increases pay increases 49.1% for the football staffers. Unlike the on-field assistant coaching staff, the number of support staff numbers is not listed. So, that, that right there is just looking at football. Now, Next thing I want to try to pull up. What is the average cost of a season ticket? It may seem like I'm picking on Alabama. I'm really not, but I'm just going to see season tickets to Alabama. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break right here so I can slip in a word from my sponsor. And when I come back, I will have this information for you because I'm going to dive deep into something here. And it's going to go back to HBCU schools, players going there, their reasoning for going there. And could we be seeing a shift, at least in college basketball? So stay tuned. I'll be right back. 
Okay, welcome back. And uh, looking at Alabama football season tickets and mini plans. And this is going to be going back to the 2019 season. And the reason I didn't look at the 2020 season is because we know conferences are shuffling their schedules around. Uh, they're doing uh, a lot of the main ones are doing conference only games. So I'm not going to even try to dive in there, but this was last year's going into 2019 season. And they had a three, five and seven game ticket packages, which were available through the Alabama athletics ticket office. So let's look at this season tickets, which had previously been available only to current Tide Pride members and to those on the Tide Pride waiting list are available in the Century Club seating area in the south upper end zone of Bryant-Denny Stadium. The season ticket package for this section is priced at $395 and requires a $160 Tide Pride contribution along with a $30 processing fee. The seats in this area are not renewable for the 2020 season, but will earn fans tight total priority points to improve their standing for the future. Consideration regarding available tight pride seating. The five-game mini plan allows fans the choice of matchups with Tennessee or LSU, a choice of Ole Miss or Arkansas, and three non-conference games, including the home opener at Bryant-Denny against New Mexico State, in addition to matchups with Southern Miss and Western Carolina. The five-game mini-plans start at $285. A three-game mini-plan option gives fans the choice of Ole Miss or Arkansas, a choice between Southern Miss or Western Carolina, plus the home opener against the Aggies. Three-game mini-plans start at $145. The tickets are also available for the Crimson Tide's 2019 season opener against the Duke Blue Devils on August 31st at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. Seats in the official Alabama seating sections of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium are available through the Alabama Athletics Ticket Office. Lower level and mezzanine seating is priced at $200 per ticket, while upper level seats are set at $125 apiece. So there you have a general consensus of what you're looking at price-wise for ticket, season tickets for Alabama. And Alabama football games are pretty much, I can guarantee they're they're sold out. That's a lot of cash flow on any given Saturday. So, we see what is going on with the Pac-12 Players Coalition that have basically stood up and said, this is what we want. We demand, we want these rights. We are demanding these rights. And we want this, such as health care, even after we're through playing. Uh, we want to make sure it's going to be safe for us to play this game during a pandemic. And, of course, you know, 
this uh the racial issue going on which brings me back to hbcu schools and elite athletes going not just elite athletes but elite athletes of color going to hbcu schools remember there was a time in history one word segregation and i know this is not going to be a very popular topic but hey i'm willing to as they say, stick my toes in the sand and get off into this topic. It was called segregation. Let's take you down that history. You had a water fountain for whites only, a water fountain for colors. Let's go back even farther during slavery time. When the slave master could do any and everything to the slave except one thing. Couldn't teach him to read. Our schools were segregated. You had white school. You had the black school. Your major universities. Most of your team members were white players. Coming up in a little bit of basketball history, along the way, there is a school called Texas Western that messed up the whole landscape. And can you say one Adolfer was not too happy about it? Texas Western started five black athletes and shook the world when they knocked off Adolph Ruff and his Kentucky Wildcats. I'm here in Wichita, Kansas. I'm a big Wichita State basketball fan. Had the opportunity back in 1981 to see a game. NCAA tournament. Wichita State versus Texas Southern. The Jaguars, I believe. Very entertaining game. And I'm going to get one of the Carr brothers on, either Antoine or James on. Hopefully I can reach out to Antoine and find out what that experience was like playing against a HBCU school. Because my recollection of that game was it was very competitive in the first half. In the second half, we just had too many horses for them. I also remember a school. I don't know if they were in, if, if they were historically black college university. But I remember I remember Gene Smithson putting his team on the schedule. University of District of Columbia. Historically black college university schools are still having a hard time getting to play your major conference schools for whatever the reason may be. 
So like the only way that happens is you get one five-star player who decides, I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to be the leader. Then you have a player transfer out of a major conference says, you know what? I'm going there too. Granted, there are some obstacles that look like they will be facing. But the fact of the matter is, it's happening. And we could start to see the landscape of college basketball, as we know it, start to change. Sadly that it had to take the tragic of a George Floyd. But we're seeing it happen. Like I say, some of the guys I've talked to on a sports radio talk show here, like I say, their rebuttal is, are they doing it because that's where their heart is, or are they doing it because they're doing it as a PR stunt? And I know that one, if not both, will hear this podcast, and I, it doesn't wouldn't bother me one bit if they do. We can agree on it, or we can agree to disagree. But no, I don't think it's a PR stunt. I think that's where their heart is at. And I think what it does is it will eventually bring more exposure to HBCU schools. I, will they ever be able to compete against your Blue Bloods like your Kansas, your Dukes, your Kentuckys, your North Carolina? Well, let's just take it one step at a time. At least you have a five-star athlete that they wanted. It remains to be seen what the year 2023 is going to look like. But you know, before 2023, there's a 2021, 2022. Everybody's looking at that Mikey Williams and Bronny James class. But even a three-star or four-star will make headlines going to an HBCU. The general consensus is you hear the word exploitation being thrown around a lot on these college athletes. You also look at the makeup on any given, at least college basketball team, the majority of the players on these PWI, predominantly white institutions, at least 80% of the roster are black or African-American athletes. The fans pay to see these players. Granted, they're being coached by multi-millionaire coaches. You wonder why there's so much corruption going on in college basketball. Shoe companies reaching out. Trying to do the stash under the table. Somehow they still get caught. These schools are basically making money off of these athletes which is why I don't blame the players for standing up saying, hey, we want to get paid for our likeness. And they should. If you're not going to do it, then you're basically exploiting them for the good of your university. Which is why, me personally, I don't have a problem with a player saying, if a school is going to make money off of me, it may as well be an HBCU school. 
because in the grand scheme of things, you have one, then you have another one, then another one. You have a domino effect. You have one at Howard. You have one at Texas Southern. You have one at Hampton. You get the picture. The more at the more elite black athletes go to historically black college universities, the more exposure they get, and the more exposure they get, the more finances they get, the more TV deals they get, the more sponsorships they get. They may not ever be able to compete against your your blue bloods, but they will have their attention. Kudos to Howard. Hope they can get things squared away with their players. Hopefully we will see them both on the court this year. But I will definitely be keeping my eye on Howard University and other HBCU schools in that conference. We know they've already pushed their football season back. So like the people around here in Wichita, Kansas, we look forward to Wichita State basketball. I'm going to be looking forward to following HBCU schools in basketball this season. Hopefully I can reach out to someone, maybe get an interview. My next podcast, which will be sometime tomorrow, I am going to go ahead and pull up athletes who have gone to the NFL and have made an impact that have come from historically black college and universities. So you'll want to stay tuned for that episode tomorrow. I guarantee you it will be a treat. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I'm going to enjoy doing it. So until next time, take care of yourself and each other. Have a blessed evening. You've been listening to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'm yours truly, Anthony Smith. I'm signing off.